Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We recently wrapped up a series on the end times, where we looked at the events recorded at the end of the final book of the Bible, Revelation. Well, at the beginning of Revelation, the Apostle John records a vision given by the Holy Spirit, which contained seven specific messages for seven churches located in modern-day Turkey. Today, Pastor Nicole is beginning a new series examining the contents of these seven letters, because in them, we see critical warnings by Jesus to all believers, including us today. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. Today, I'm super excited to start a new series uh, continuing to center around Revelation. Um, In two weeks, we will have a special worship night for the whole family. Uh, June 5th at 6 p.m. Pentecost Sunday, uh, there will be worship here in the sanctuary for adults and glow worship for kids. Now, none of you can sneak in there, okay? You got to stay here if you're over fifth grade, Uh, but kindergarten through fifth grade, Um, We'll be in with Pastor Kayla, uh, learning how to worship even at a young age. Uh, And so make plans to get here. That's going to be a really important part of our series as we continue to learn from Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, uh, we have a really clear and succinct series of statements uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ about what he loves and what he doesn't. What I love about uh, this is Jesus leaves nothing to guesswork. Like we are not left wondering what Jesus thinks. He speaks clearly. And if we want to be true followers of Christ, we should pay really careful attention. In Revelation chapters one through three, the Lord dictates letters to seven churches and the apostle John writes them down. Uh, So John was just like the scribe. The Holy Spirit was the voice. And John was the writer of the gospel of John. He also, the scripture tells us, is the closest disciple to Jesus. And all of these churches were found in Asia Minor, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. You can see a a map there I set out for you. Uh, So let's read Revelation 1, 10 through 11. That's about where the churches were. It reads this. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, uh, if I pronounce those wrong, it's okay, because you can't pronounce them either. Okay, so we're just going to go with it. Those are the ones. That's that's what it says. Uh, But he's saying, these are the names of the churches that are in these cities. And now I was thinking, were there only seven churches in Turkey at the time? No, uh, actually there was more than seven, but Jesus chose these seven to speak directly to. And you might wonder, well, why these seven? Uh, Well, Revelation abounds with the number seven. We just did a series, Pastor Quentin and I, for three weeks on uh, what the book of Revelation talks about with the end times, and we learned about seven uh, seals, and seven trumpets, and seven angels, and seven plagues, and seven lamps. Today, we're looking at seven letters, right, and seven churches. And seven represents this concept of completeness and fullness. And when we read these letters, 
we're not sneaking a look into someone else's mail. I think that's actually a federal offense from what I understand. So we're not actually sneaking a look into someone's mail. In fact, Pastor Danielle told me uh, she hosted a prom party this weekend, and when she opened her mailbox in the morning, there was a piece of pizza in it uh, on a plate. So we knew that that was a good prom party. But, but we're not just looking at other people's mailboxes and reading their mail and overhearing what Jesus is saying to them. God is revealing his heart and mind to the universal church. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell these seven churches what I want all churches to know, what I want all churches to understand, and how they can be complete and they can be whole. And the directives in these letters were not just for the congregations back then, they are for us today. So I want you to really uh, read it with this fresh perspective that this is what we need to understand today as the church. Uh, So let's read in Revelation 1, 12 through 13, it continues, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands uh, was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. So one of the many responsibilities of the high priest during the Old Testament tabernacle period was trimming the lamps. Have you ever burned a candle in your home, and um, after some time, if you don't trim the wick, the candle actually cannot burn anymore. Like the wax itself kind of overtakes the wick. Well, this is sort of the same idea, is that the priest, twice a day, both morning and evening, was introduced, instructed by Moses to enter the holy place and to trim the seven golden lampstands. And as with any lamp that burns oil, the wicks needed trimmed periodically. And it involved removing the deposits that would build up on the wick itself. And when the wicks were trimmed, the lamp burned brightly, giving off the best light, the brightest light necessary. And if these deposits were not removed, the light would gradually weaken and ultimately would extinguish and would plunge everything into darkness. So in this opening scene of Revelation, we see our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, walking among the seven golden lampstands. And we learn that the lamps are churches and the Lord is filling them with oil, trimming the wicks so that the light would not weaken, trimming the wicks so that the lamp would not go out and put everything in darkness. This is a brilliant picture of God's work among us. Jesus is making sure the light of each church stays strong and bright, not just each church, but also our own personal lives. We are to be the light that burns brightly into spiritual darkness. And Jesus trims our wicks. He adjusts our thinking. He encourages us and he helps us change so we can bear the greatest and the best light of the lampstand. Isaiah 60, one through three says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. 
So it's with this image in mind, it becomes clear how vitally important this passage in Revelation is in regard to the church today. Jesus comes and he lovingly, uh, firmly tells the people, these are the things that honor me and these are the things that don't. And he says, this is what's going to make your light shine and this is what's going to make your light dim. And as we read these letters over these next several weeks, we're going to see the church examined in a way that no one else can do, that no one else has the right to do. This is what Jesus says. We, we can't edit these words and say, well, if a church is really good at this, then it's a light to the world. The scripture tells us exactly what we are to excel at and exactly what we are to, uh, to avoid. And so I asked Pastor Andy if he would come and just read this uh, first letter today. So imagine this is um, Jesus writing a letter um, to the church of Ephesus, but ultimately the universal church this morning. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Ephesus was a committed body of believers who worked long and hard, giving everything they had. We see in verse 2, Jesus says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, I know your perseverance. In some translations, it uses the word toil for hard work. Uh, that word toil means effort that produces work even at the cost of pain, okay? The people of the church of Ephesus were tough. They were like spiritual Marines advancing forward, securing beachhead after beachhead regardless of the cost. And when they were knocked down, they got up again. In the nine o'clock service, I sang that little ditty. No one laughed, so I'm not going to do it again. Okay, I just want you to know, like I have some vulnerability, but they, they ruined it for you. Jesus also commends his church for its perseverance. You know, most of us can give a little extra. Most of us can give, uh, maybe we have a few weeks of a hard season or a few months of a hard season, but when it becomes a year or two years or five years or 10 years, when we begin to have to be giving and giving and giving, sustaining it over the long run is what separates us, the men from the boys. Okay, these believers, they knew how to run a marathon, not just some quick dash. They were in it for the long haul. They were not flash in the pan Christ followers. I would venture to say the church of Ephesus didn't waver in attendance based on the topic. They didn't decide if they were going to come based on if the music was how they liked it or the temperature of the room. They were hardworking. They were consistent believers that showed up day in and day out to honor God. And hard work and perseverance made their lampstands strong 
and made their lampstand burn bright. The second half of this verse says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Uh, This is showing Ephesus was all about spiritual integrity. They prided themselves on the standard of holiness. When sin was in the church, they dealt with it immediately. They gave no room for it. The church had high standards. They were careful. They were conscious. They wanted to honor God in a holy way. And the morals of Ephesus were, were honorable. But the pivotal word in this letter, and maybe you caught it when Pastor Andy read it this morning, it comes in verse 4, and it's this word. It says, yet, yet, yet I hold this against you. You know, immediately when someone hands you a string of accolades followed by a yet or a but, you're about to hear what's really on their heart, right? You did a really good job, but <laughs> that was a really great morning, but, you know, and you, you know that they're about to actually say the truth. And Jesus is saying, look, you are doing so good. You are working hard. You're persevering. You're excellent in moral standards, but yet there is something missing. There is something really important that is lost. Now, um, if you know me very well, I am forever losing things, okay? I'm always losing things. I'm always looking for my keys. One time, I found them in the freezer. I don't know. I, I don't know why. There they were. Um, I le- I've lost my wallet more times than I care to admit to you. At one time, I left it uh, in a... In a cart outside of Kohl's, like in in the parking lot. I I must have grabbed my bags and not my wallet. And I left it there overnight. It stayed in that cart. I traced back my steps and by like the glory of God, the wallet was where I left it and nothing was was out of it. Isn't that crazy? I uh, didn't tell Joel about that till after I found it. (laughs) I was like, hey, I had this really crazy story. I lost my wallet. I found it, Uh, but here it was, you know, and I looked everywhere for that thing. Um, is there anyone else out there like me, like you lose things a little bit? Okay, all right, I feel better, I feel better. Um, I lost my wedding band once. Um, I couldn't find it, no matter how hard I looked. I basically gave up. Four years later, I'm not kidding, four years later, here it is on my finger actually, uh, Cecily found it when she was like digging through the hairbrush drawer. And she's like, mom, this is a cool ring. I was like, oh, there's my ring. Four years later, okay, I don't know. <laughs> But this has never happened to me personally, but I have known people uh, who didn't lose their ring, but they lost something smaller than that. They lost the diamond out of their ring. In the first service, I had several people that happened to anybody actually lose. Wow, that is amazing to me. So they actually lost, like even smaller, right? Their diamond out of your ring. And it made me think of this word picture. The Lord actually kind of gave me this word picture when I was reading this scripture. The best way to describe the church of Ephesus is like an expensive engagement ring. I have a picture here. A ring made by a leading jeweler. The workmanship is exquisite. Every stone is cut perfectly and set exactly to have like to enhance the presentation. Yet something is missing. There is no central stone. Where the stone should be, there are just empty prongs. So here's what was happening in Ephesus. Something had changed from the early days when everything about their faith was fresh and new. Their worship was spontaneous and filled with emotion and expressions of thanksgiving. There was a hunger for God's word. No task was too trivial. Nothing could keep them from the presence of God. No other priority would trump worshiping in the house of God. Their passion was pure. Their priorities were right. Jesus was central and supreme in every thought and action. And truly, Jesus was first place in everything. But now something was different. Something was missing. Their passion had been replaced with other priorities. 
And in the name of work and chasing down holiness and following the rules, love had grown cold. And the Ephesian church had many fine and admirable qualities, many things that Jesus said, these are incredible things that you guys are doing, but the central stone had been lost. I think Paul expresses this well in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, when he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I think we could add from this passage in Revelation, if I labor to extend God's kingdom, even working long hours and painful toil but do not have love, I'm missing the point. And though I rid my church of evil men and keep the standards above board, if I have lost my first love, it profits me nothing. And so Revelation 2, 4 through 5, Jesus is saying, listen, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And this is a warning for you and for me today. That Jesus is reminding us that loving him is the best and most important thing of all the things we do and of all the ways we serve and all the time we spend, that loving Jesus first is primary. And I got to thinking, how do we evaluate this? Because so often there are times if the, if the Ephesus church, if the church of Ephesus understood that they were doing everything right but not loving Jesus, they would have stopped that. I really believe their hearts were good, but they were missing it. They didn't even know their stone had fallen out of their ring. They had no idea. And so I, I began to think and ask the Lord, how do we evaluate? What are some signs that we have strayed from our first love? What are some things we can process and think about to know if we too have unintentionally maybe not uh, able to, to let Jesus be the center stone, the, the lover of our soul? And so I thought of a few things. So here's number one. As I share them, I want you to just self-evaluate uh, to yourself, um, what you, how you would answer these questions. Number one, do you delight in anything else, anything else, more than you delight in Jesus? Do you delight in anything else more than you delight in Jesus? You know, first love transcends all other affections. What do you get excited about the most? Is it spending time with the Lord? Is it being in the presence of God? Or is it a, a, a certain sports team or, or a certain uh, activity that you like to do. Those things aren't bad. God wants us to have pleasure. But what he's saying is, look, he needs to be the center of our life. We need to prioritize and we need to make sure what is first. It can't be work or family or fun time. Those aren't bad things, but we can't center our lives around them and still have Jesus as our first love. We can't love any of those things more than being with Jesus. Question number two, do you succumb to ungodly things easier than you did before? Has it become easier to justify a behavior or an action? Maybe when you first became a Christian, uh, you, you had lots of things that you stayed away from. You, you made sure that I'm not gonna get involved in that. It's really important to me that, that, I, that I stay away from that sin or that thing that might look like sin and have over time, have you allowed something small or sinful little by little in your life and all of a sudden that thing that you would have never done when you were first a Christian is something that you allow, that you let. Maybe other Christians you know do it. And so you think, well, 
Maybe this is just something that, that, that I'm letting in my life. Here's a big question. Do you remember a time when you kept God's commands with greater reverence than you're doing now? If you read the word of God and it was more alive to you, you had greater reverence for it than you're doing now. John 15 reminds us, if you keep God's commands, you will remain in his love. And showing God you love him is being obedient to what he wants for your life. When we become complacent and apathetic to sinful things in and around us, the scripture says our heart gets hard. Here's number three. Do you give willingly and cheerfully to God's work and the needs of others? You know, the love of God abides in us when we give generously and cheerfully. And so a signal that you may have lost your first love is if you start to feel like giving is a burden, or you start having a critical spirit about your giving, or you start to hang on just a little tighter to the things that you have. If you can look over someone's need because you have become hardened or hurt by past circumstances, your first love might be in jeopardy. If the same thing doesn't break your heart now as what it did before, that center stone of our faith could begin to be dislodging, to begin to be missing. Number four, do you treat every person like Jesus would treat them? Would you treat every person like Jesus would treat them? I don't even have a comment on this one. Just let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Every person, the people you disagree with politically, the people that you see doing wrong things, the people that you are in your life that are hard to love, do you treat every person like Jesus would treat them? Number five, do you strive for approval from anyone else but Jesus? Do you strive for approval from anyone else but Jesus? You know, a sign that we have lost our first love is when we are inwardly striving for position, for fame, for importance. Whose opinion and favor do you value the most? Who gets to tell you that you're a good mom? Who gets to tell you that you're good at doing your job? Who gets to tell you that your life counts and your life is successful? Because there's one person, if we have our first love, that gets to do that. Who gets to tell you that? What voice are you listening to the loudest? Lastly, number six, are you unwilling to forgive another person who has hurt or offended you? You know, bitterness and offense will drown your first love. Bitterness and blessing cannot survive in the same heart. One will always overcome the other. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're in a, 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 a tussle, a tussle, what is that word? A tussle, where, where bitterness and blessing are fighting in your heart, and one day you're feeling like you're forgiven and, and you're walking in victory in that, and then you see that person at Walmart and you're like, well, I guess I have more to deal with. <laughs> or you see something on social media and it triggers you. Right? Bitterness and blessing are, are things that will totally try to, to, to uh, overcome each other. But the scripture spells it out clearer than almost anything else. Are you ready for this? Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When these questions reveal something in our hearts and we realize we might be the diamond ring without the diamond, 
We might have all the disciplines in order. We might be able to know how to do church really well. We might be part of a circle of people that are Christians. We might not be exposing ourselves to to terrible sins, all of the experiences. We may be having a Christian lifestyle. But the scripture is saying, if you don't have the center stone... If you have forsaken your first love, but you work hard, if you've forsaken your first love, but you go to church every week, if you've forsaken your first love, uh, but you're doing all the things you're supposed to do, Jesus is saying, your light is going to go out. In fact, I would venture to say that all of that other stuff is a waste of time if the center stone isn't securely in there. So Revelation 2.5 continues, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Another thing, as we talked about what I love about Jesus, no guesswork, no guesswork. Jesus is not telling us these things so that we feel ashamed or, 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 you know, uh, guilty. What he's saying is, look, I'm noticing in the church of Ephesus, in our church today, that there are some people that have lost their first love. If that's you, let me give you a path back. Let me give you a path back. If you feel hurt or bitter or offended, if you were generous and now you're not anymore, if you have compromised or allowed sin into your life, if your hunger has waned for the things of the Lord, this scripture gives us a good path back. It doesn't condemn us. It doesn't put us in a guilty position. It says, look, here's your path back. This scripture gives us a formula for personal revival. If you're here this morning and you would say, look, I just, I just don't feel it anymore. Like I used to feel God. I used to feel his presence. I just, I'm just having a difficult time feeling and seeing God anymore. This is a formula for personal revival and it's simple, but powerful. And he says this, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent simply means immediately turn, act on the conviction. Don't say, well, eventually, like when summer gets a little slower, I'll have more time. Or maybe next fall, like when my, when my life changes, when I get that new position, I'll have more time to be with the Lord. It says, look, repent and say, I want it now, God. I want it urgently. This type of first love comes when you chase it. This type of first love comes when you get after it, when you lay your life broken and open before God and you say, look, you can have it your way. You can have it all. There's nothing I won't give you. There's no room I won't let you in. You can have even the dark parts and the hard parts and the parts that I don't want you to show you. God, you can have it. You can have it all. Do something with it. And then the scripture says, do the things you did at first. So what got you close to God at first? Prayer, worship, Bible study, journaling, memorizing scripture, taking long walks alone to talk to God, maybe going to worship concerts or finding a conference, maybe coming to the altar hungry for his presence. Make sure you don't miss an opportunity to worship corporately with your church family. Listen, if these feelings have gone away, then do what you did at first. It almost seems like so simple, it's hard to put our minds around. What are the things that will get us back to the fire of God in our bones? Well, those things are what we did at first. To have that hunger for the Lord. I was talking to a great saint in our church just a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, Nicole, in the 80s, I was down at the altar every single week. And I said to him, and I don't think he, I think he wanted me to say, like, awesome. But I was like, that's so good. It's still here. (laughs) 
Like, like it's still here. Listen, if you used to come to the altar to worship because your heart was overflowing, don't say, okay, I got it for 10 years and now I'm good. Like the Holy Spirit of God is still here and he has, he has this freshness for us and he has a spirit for us and we need that every single day, not just in the 80s. I don't even know what happened in the 80s. I was born in the 80s. All right. But you know, those things. So verse five says, look, there are consequences for forsaking your first love. And the consequence is that Jesus will remove the lampstand. What does that mean? Well, that means that you will no longer be a light to the world, that our church will no longer be a light to the world if we forsake our first love. These letters are to churches, but but who is the church? Well, we have learned through this pandemic, it's not a building. We couldn't even meet in this place for weeks, right? We stood in the parking lot for three months The church is you and the the church is me. And so what this scripture is saying is it is not uh, the staff's responsibility to keep our lamp burning, okay? In fact, if Pastor Danielle and Pastor Quentin and and Joel and I pray every day and we go out and we have our first love, that won't even keep the lamp burning because the church is you and the church is me. So what we need to do is every single person, even those 9 a.m. early people, right, that don't laugh at my jokes, (laughs) Those guys, and you, and the person next to you, and the person that you're going to bring next week, what we need to do to keep our light burning is for us to get back to our first love. And when we do that, we will be a light to the world. And when we do that, all of our little decisions collectively will make the church bright and strong and on purpose to what God designed it. So stand with me this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond to this word today. Quite literally, we're going to come back to the heart of worship. We're going to worship and come back to our first love, Jesus. We're going to sing this song. And we're going to make sure our lampstand is burning bright. But what I want to encourage you to do is you do your part in lighting the lampstand, okay? You can only do your part, but you do your part. Don't count on the person next to you to do it all. Don't count on the person next to you to keep the light burning. You do your part and evaluate where are the things that that center stone has begun to dislodge. And God, bring me back to the very heart of worship, to my first love. God, help me go back to what I did before, what I remembered before, because God's the same as he was then as he is today. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you. Jesus, we don't want our lampstand to go out. Jesus, we don't want to do all this stuff and forget about who it's for. God, we don't want to be good at anything else more than we're good at loving you. And so, Father, I pray that you would put our hearts back in order. That this is all for you. That our heart is just whole for you. God, we want to love you the best we know how. We want you to teach us how to love you even better. God, we want to do it personally so that my fire of the first love and my light can catch to the person next to me and the person next to them. And God, that together, collectively, as Erie First Assembly, our lampstand would burn bright as the light of the world simply because we love you. And so today, we just strip it all back and we come back to the heart of worship. Amen.
Jesus, from a mess, from whatever, God. And you're always faithful to receive us, God.
Thank you for listening to the Eerie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Eerie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eeriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.